And this is my sister, Olivia Wishard, and, and we, we welcome you to Christ Church. We pray that you guys are all safe and healthy through these times. We miss you. We miss our Sunday school teachers, our the coffee hours, our friends, and our church family. We especially miss greeting. We will pray for you. God bless each and every one of you. We hope that we can see you all again soon. Well, hey, good morning, Christ Church. It's good to see you and good to be with you. If you're tuning in online, so glad that you're here with us. If you're here in the room, I'd invite you to stand up. We're going to start our morning with a little bit of singing together. And if you're brand new with us this morning, just to give you a little bit of a sense of where we're going today and how this is all going to work. We're going to start, as you can see, uh, with a little bit of singing together. And if the songs are unfamiliar to you, uh, I just encourage you to engage in that in whatever way feels comfortable to you. Maybe take some time for you and listen to the words of the songs and listen to the music. After that, we're going to have some family news and learn about what's going on around the church. And so that's a great opportunity for you to listen and learn how you can get connected around Christ Church. And then we're going to have some time to learn from God's Word. So in that time, I encourage you to open your Bibles with us, and we're going to see what it has to say about our lives and about who we are. And then finally today, you can see we've got the table set just behind me. Um, we're going to celebrate communion together today. And so especially if you're tuning on online, uh, make sure that you get some elements if you don't have them already, some bread and some juice. But as we begin in our service, I'd love to just say a brief word of prayer. So if you would, wherever you are, just bow your head and close your eyes with me. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you welcome us with open arms into the house of the Father. We thank you that we're stepping into a safe space, a good space, a space where we're loved and we're known, where nothing needs to be earned, where nothing needs to be proven, God. We thank you that you are who you say you are. We thank you that we are who you say we are. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Where you are, and 
You never want it perfect You just want it mine You know the story isn't over If the story isn't good Failure's never final When the Father's in the room Failure's never final When the Father's in the room Like holy 
Michelle, Ben, thank you so much for leading us that way. It is just so amazing to be together in the presence of one another, the body of Christ. I can't do it as good as the Wishard sisters did right at the beginning of the service, but welcome to Christ Church. It is so good to be with all of you. However you're joining us, whether you're joining us online or you are here with us in the room, it is just our honor that you have chosen to spend your Sunday morning with us. So thank you so much for doing that. If you are here for the very first time, 
want to wish you a very special welcome. Thank you for joining us. Um, we'd love to get to know you, so say hi to me afterwards, any of the um, staff members with a name tag on, or anybody with a name tag, which should be everybody. So let's get connected after the service. would love to do that. Um, friends, if you don't know me, my name is Aaron Foster, and I have the pleasure of serving with our students, specifically our high school students in our family team. And on behalf of all of our staff team, we would love for you to get connected. And I wanna share a couple ways that we can do that. For those of you who are new, just kind of entering into the fold of the church, or you've been around for a while and just wanna grow deeper into um, what's going on here at Christ Church, we have a couple opportunities for you to, to get to know what's happening. And the first of which is to, to, to subscribe to our weekly update. And essentially what this is, it's a weekly update that gives you information on everything that's going on in the church, how to get to know the people in this community, and how to get involved a little bit more through service or engaging in one of our many ministries that we have happening throughout this season. The second opportunity is to join us today at noon for our Meet the Pastor event. Basically, you'll get to meet our very own Pastor Dan Meyer and share, and he'll be able to share a little bit about the heart behind the church, the community that we have here, the beliefs of Christ Church, and he'll share some more opportunities for us to get um, engaged and serve in this community of Christ Church. Just great opportunities for us to know what's going on, to stay connected, and maybe to meet some new friends in this awesome Christ Church community. Friends, if you're anything like me, almost every single week for the last several months, there has been something that has brought to light again some of the difficulties of the coronavirus pandemic. Whether it is a friend or a loved one having exposure or testing positive, or this week's iteration of seeing our um, president and first lady with positive diagnoses, it is important for us to remember as we are experiencing these and recognizing the difficulty and, and the, the extenuating circumstances that this pandemic has put us in to use those opportunities to remind ourselves to be in prayer. For those individuals that are struggling, for those that are more predisposed to, to have um, more difficult health experiences through that, and for all of us to maintain health and safety. And so as we see these, um, or these instances happening in the news, our heart as Christ Church, we want to be a praying church. And so be mindful of that. Use those as opportunities to pray for your loved ones. Pray for the president and the first lady. Pray for the people who are being affected one way or another through this difficult, difficult time. And as a church, um, through God's Holy Spirit, we can lift up those in, that, are, that are working through the most difficult parts of this pandemic. Well, friends, as we are getting into the part of the service where we invite those of you who consider Christ Church to be home to give out of the, the gifts that God has already given you, we want to remind you that when you give to the church, you are joining in on what God has been doing here in, in these, this community and through this community for generations. Your gifts empower the work that God has been doing in the lives of people in this very church, in our communities, and all around the world. Each gift has the potential to alleviate burdens for individuals, has the potential to draw people closer into community, and most of all, it has the potential to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is the hope of everything that we do here at Christ Church, that individuals can encounter Christ in a powerful and life-changing way. And so that is what each gift moves to do. God is working in this community through our service, through our gifts, um, 
and letting go of some of that, offering some of that freely, allows the Lord to work in our hearts and the hearts of the people around us. And so in just a second, we are going to pray alongside one of our trustees. And as we are in that prayer, I wanna invite us to listen to where God might be nudging us in this season. Where does he want you to serve? Where does he want you to give? Let's go ahead and turn our attention to the screens as we engage in a word of prayer. Lord, I praise you because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are marvelous and we know that fully well. I confess that in a hustle and bustle, haste and noise, and distractions of our daily life, we do not always stop to see and to hear from the strangers and the neighbors we encounter. I thank you because scripture says that whatever we do for the least of these, we did for you. Lord, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear. Give us the humility and strength to reach out to those who are strangers and our neighbors with love. For those who are hungry, may we feed them. For the thirsty, may we give them something to drink. For the stranger, may we invite them in. For those who need clothes, may we clothe them. For those who are sick, may we show them compassion and care for them. For the prisoner, visit them. Lord, help us to engage and to reach out to the stranger and our neighbors and show them kindness and compassion, especially those who are different from us. I ask for all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's really great to be with you on this beautiful October day, and let me just add once again my incredible joy in welcoming those of you who may be new to the circle today, uh, whether it's here in the building with us or in your home, out in the community, uh, you are indeed uh, an incredibly wonderful part of the life of our church, and we look forward to journeying with you. We are talking about the big journey of life in this season. We're talking about one of the greatest stories of life that Jesus tells that wraps up the significance of human life and God's heart for that life in a very powerful way. 
And I know that you're gonna find that to be true again as you listen to the story this morning. I wanna begin, if I can, just by uh, hearkening back to another story that I am aware of that took place in the life of a young woman, a friend of mine by the name of Nicole. Uh, some years ago, Nicole was uh, in her car traveling along a, uh, a road in Northern California when she suddenly felt one of the tires go and the ride got very rough and bumpy and she managed to fight the car over to the side of the road. And, and she sat there and realized she had a flat tire and she was not sure what to do. Uh, Nicole was in her late uh, teenage, mid to late teenage years at this time. Uh, for some reason, she'd never been instructed in how you actually go about changing a tire. Uh, and she was not really sure when she looked in her trunk actually even where the tire was or how to get at the equipment that would help her. And she somehow did not have with her at this moment a cell phone. And so she, she just stood there by the side of the road. I'm sure her body language was communicating what she was feeling, which was sort of helpless and sort of hopeless as she was on this lonely road uh, all on her own. Well, uh, a little while later, a, a car, to her joy, um, appeared over the brow of the hill and began coming towards her, and her heart surged with hope for just a moment, but the car just went right on by. And then it got quiet again, and she heard the sound of the car receding away, and she stood there again, wondering, what in the world am I going to do? A short while later, she began to hear another rumbling noise, and another car uh, came up over the hill, and her heart again leapt, but this one actually slowed down, and the person in the car kind of gawked at her as they whizzed on by, and her heart sank again. And then... She just stood there as car after car went by her. And even though she just waved, they just were too into their life. They did not seem to pay attention or they were too scared to do anything. Maybe, who knows what was going on. And she had just about given up hope entirely when another car came over the road uh, and at a distance seemed to slow and pulled over onto the shoulder uh, behind her car some distance back. And she watched as this guy gets out of the car and slams the door and begins to walk slowly in her direction. And in this moment, a strange conversion in her heart goes because at the beginning when she saw him slow down and pull over, she felt hope. But now as she looked at this guy who was very kind of grisly looking in the face and who had these really muscular arms, he was in a pair of jeans and a white t-shirt, she suddenly thought to herself, oh my gosh, this could be bad news. I'm totally vulnerable here. I don't know who this guy is. I don't know what he might do. But it turned out the guy was incredibly polite. He asked how he could help. He went into the back of her car. He did know how to find the spare tire. He found the jack. He got out there. He stooped down. He got onto his knees. He worked all of the mechanics that were needed at that time. He changed the tire. And then he stood up and wiping the grease and grime off on his pants, he stuck out his hands to her and said, is there anything else I can do for you? And my friend said, 
no, this is incredible what you've done for me. Thank you. My name's Nicole Amond. And, and he took her hand warmly and he said, Nicole, it's been my pleasure. My name's Bruce Springsteen. True story. Now, when I first heard that story, I gasped. I gasped with relief that my friend, uh, who I cared about, who was vulnerable in that moment, had found the help that she needed. I gasped also because I I just thought to myself, wow, what a marvelous story that is. I I thought of all of the times in my own life when I've been in a tremendous pinch of one kind or another, and if we had the time, I'd I'd walk you through several of those stories of times when I really was sort of down and out and without the capacity to fix the situation on my own. I just didn't have the resources I needed to bring about the change I, I, I so desperately wanted. And the story that I heard from Nicole encouraged my heart that maybe it still happens. Maybe still there are people out there that have the kind of heart that do that kind of thing for people that can't help themselves. And I guessed finally because of the who that helped in that situation. Uh, it just blew my, wa- my mind that this Grammy award-winning rock star who is worth, I'm told, about half a billion dollars felt moved to interrupt his agenda and to go to the aid of this, of this person on the side of the road, a stranger. Well, you can probably figure out that, that I'm telling you this particular story because it bears a certain kind of parallels to the story that we've been studying together over these past weeks. Only, as I'm gonna try and point out today, a whole lot more so than maybe we've even imagined. Uh, In this week's episode of The Jericho Road, we, we find the next part of the story unfolding. There's this person we already know who's stranded alongside of this road, but his problem is much worse than a flat tire. I think we've established that. But for those of you who are new, let me just bring you in on it. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, says Jesus, when he was attacked by robbers. And they, they stripped him of his clothes, they, they, they beat him uh, severely, and they went away leaving him half dead. It was the very thing, I think, that Nicole feared might happen to her in that particular encounter on the side of that road. Only it happens to this guy, he's a crime scene. He's been robbed, he's been beaten, he's been left half dead, he's not getting out of this on his own. He's not gonna be able to get out of it on his own. Then two separate people come motoring up. We know that from the next part of the story. Each of them are people whom you might expect to actually pull over. Because one's a priest and one's a Levite, they're both religious people. They're in fact unusually religious people. They're unusually morally instructed and maybe even inclined people. And we read, a priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side, he whizzed by. 
So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, meaning saw the person in trouble, he passed by on the other side. Now, as I said, at this point in the story, it looks a whole lot worse than it was even for my friend Nicole because he is literally naked. He is bleeding. He's lying in this ditch. When all of a sudden, somebody else shows up, somebody else pulls over onto the shoulder, gets out of his late model donkey mobile or whatever it was, and he begins to walk towards the stranded person. And I don't know if the guy was even conscious, maybe one eye, swollen eye open, he sees this figure coming towards him, and he suddenly goes, oh no, it's a Samaritan. This could end really badly, he maybe thinks. Like Nicole was fearful. Now why would the fact that this person approaching was a Samaritan be a problem? Well, we know it was a problem because Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. I mean, they were the Hatfields and the McCoys. They were the the, the Republicans and the Democrats. You know, they were, they were the, you just pick any polarized group of people you can think of today, and we've got a lot of them, so you've got choices. And that's what Jews and Samaritans were like. Jews were in the majority. Uh, they had uh, more of the power and the resources of their society. Samaritans were in the minority. And there were centuries of ethnic and religious and cultural disagreements and variances that separated this particular group of people. Jews looked down on Samaritans uh, for many, many reasons. Um, They were the product, Samaritans were, of mixed marriages between Jews and the Babylonians that had once come into that area and taken over Israel. And so they were regarded as sort of half-breeds. They were seen as tainted people. Uh, the, the Samaritans chose to worship God on a place called Mount Gerizim, which was clearly not the sp- space you were supposed to worship God, according to Jewish people, because they believed that the Temple Mount in Jerusalem was the spot where God really wanted to be honored, where the great sacrifices should be made. And the Jews couldn't understand why the Samaritans were just downgrading religion that way, corrupting it. Samaritans dressed differently, they listened to different music, they hung out in different neighborhoods. Jews generally avoided even going near Samaria when they were passing through that region. They avoided interacting with Samaritans whenever they possibly could. They often treated Samaritans badly. They even called them dogs. So I say again, Pick your most polarized group of people today. And this is something of the scene that we're encountering here. This is the gulf between the Jews and the Samaritans. They had long since stopped really trying to understand each other. More than a cursory connection, very, very rare between them. So, When we go on to read in the story, but a Samaritan as he traveled came to where the man was, do you think that it is good news or bad news for the Jewish guy? What do you think? It's bad news. It it appears to him, I'm sure, 
and to those listening to Jesus tell the story, this is, this is bad news. Because if there ever was a high school yearbook ca- category for least likely to pull over and help a Jewish guy, this individual that shows up is, is gonna win that. Now it's really, really important that we get this part because honestly, if we don't absorb this, the unlikeliness of this encounter, we're gonna sort of miss what it is that Jesus is trying to say here. Jesus is trying to make it really, really clear, and it would have been obvious, again, to his first century audience, everybody would have gotten this. Uh, It would have been really clear that the person who comes down the road doesn't have to pull over. Uh, Under normal circumstances, is not likely to pull over. He does not have to do anything nice. In fact, given the ways that Jews have typically behaved towards Samaritans, the only reason why the Samaritan would slow down, stop, and come over was to check if there was anything left in the guy's pockets and maybe spit on him for all of the wrong that had been done so often by Jews to Samaritans. And yet, as in so many of the stories of Jesus, the least likely thing actually happens. And the thing that happens is so outrageous that it had to have made the original audience sitting around Jesus as he's telling this story gasp with shock about it. Jesus goes on to say that the Samaritan, and this is really an important phrase, when he saw him, saw the man in need. And we just have to press pause right there for a minute because I I want to invite us to think about how many of the problems and the pains and the difficulties and the alienation and and the struggles in our families, in our workplaces, in our society today, arise because we have gotten so accustomed to driving so fast through life and and of being sealed into these perceptually closed cars or vehicles or ways of being, how many of the difficult struggles and problems are because we move so fast and are so closed in that we no longer really see other people. We don't, we just, we just don't get them. We don't see the the inner core of them, the backstory of them, the hurts and hopes, the the humanity of people. They just become, you know, just objects along the highway in a sense. And yet, if we could see people, if we could see the wounds that that people bear that help to account for why they are the way they are, if we could see the fears and the aspirations behind so many behaviors, if we could see what we actually have in common with these people, often the ones that we've even branded as our enemies, if we could see what they're fighting in life, how transforming it could be, I think. If you and I were people with the capacity to truly see him or to see her or to see them, 
Jesus says that when the Samaritan uh, saw the Jewish man, he took pity on him. And as I've shared in in past messages that that word that is rendered pity in the English is the Greek word splanchnizomai. I just think you should say it because it's so much fun to say. Splanchnizomai, right? It is such a cool word. And and, and it's one of those words that actually sounds like what it is. Because like splanchnizomai is like, it's like almost like a rumbling in your gut that just comes out, right? Well, that's what it means. Splanchnizomai is the word that's used in the New Testament to describe this, this roiling sense in the gut of compassion for somebody that just bubbles up, won't let us still, and just comes out in the form of some kind of merciful action towards the needs of others. He felt splanchnizomai on him. So he went to him, the text says, and bandaged his wounds, uh, pouring on oil and wine, which was sort of a a common first century form of, of salve and disinfectant. And then he put the man on his own donkey, and that was a risky move because he was exposing himself. Now he wasn't riding anymore. If other bandits, other robbers showed up on that road, which was a high risk, he wasn't riding away from them. He was gonna need to move slowly so as not to dislodge this man. He didn't want him to be jostled too much. He was taking that donkey slowly down the Jericho Road. You could bank on that. And he was risking himself in that way. And then the text says, and he brought him to an inn, which by the way, wouldn't have been anywhere nearby. That would have taken a, a considerable distance. There weren't inns along the Jericho Road. I've walked that road. I know that there were not inns there. The only inn would have been down there at the bottom of the hill, way 18 miles away down uh, at the outskirts of Jericho. And we'll talk more about that next week. And the text says, he took care of him. And he took care of him. So I'm just, I'm just hoping that we can really take this picture in. Um, because Jesus has been really careful to paint it beautifully. And by the way, we don't know whether Jesus was just telling a tale or whether this was an actual story from the, from the news that he was just bringing to mind. It's, it's very possible it was uh, an, actual, an actual story. Uh, but... But we're given here a picture, and this is what's really critical to absorb, a picture of somebody who does not have to help. We're given here a picture of somebody who has got tons of good reasons not to help, but who feels, who sees, and who feels, and then who acts in a way that is helpful, that actually is transforming to the life of another person who can't get out of the jam he's in on his own. It is a picture, actually, of a seven-fold kind of grace. If you look at that, at that list, you'll see that. It's seven different sort of acts of grace. And in the Bible, when God wants to really suggest a picture of wholeness or something that fulfills his purposes and desires, he describes it very frequently in a pattern of seven. Just Google sevens in the Bible, and you'll be amazed at the number of occurrences of, of sevens around significant things as recorded in the Bible. 
So let me just pause there and make one single observation for us, and then I'm gonna bring it to a close today. Here's the observation. It is really easy to read the story and think that what we're meeting is a nice morality lesson, a nice little morality tale. Look what this guy did. Look what this Samaritan did. You know, I should be more of a good Samaritan myself, Dan. Dan, you should be a little nicer to other people. You should do more good deeds. You should not get so busy that you can't stop and do good deeds. Very often, this is how we think of it. In fact, the very term, a good Samaritan, has become synonymous the world over now as a doer of good deeds. Now, don't get me wrong. It would be great if all of us in our societies did more good deeds. Uh, It would be a marvelous thing if we could slow down and really see each other and, and really feel for each other and really act in ways that enable and support and help each other. That would be a fantastic thing. It would be an especially good thing if we would do these things now in this divided age we live in. You know? I'm seeing Nancy Pelosi going to the hospital. and visiting the president. And I'm seeing the president so moved by the compassion, the genuine compassion of the Speaker of the House that something turns in him and they find a different key together somehow. I know that's outrageous. That's an amazing thought. But I'm seeing this, I'm, I'm dreaming of this kind of shift that happens you know, be, between people on the racial justice poles and people in, the, in, in, in so many spheres of difference in our society. It would be a good thing if more of us were moved in these particular ways. But I wanna stress to you before letting you go today that good deeds is not what this story is primarily about. This parable is not a moralistic tale designed to help us dial up our our civility and our charity a little bit more. Jesus tells this story to reach us in the guts. He tells this story to to, to create splenchnizomai in us. He, He tells this story to try and hook something deep inside of us that actually alters and transforms the way we move through life because this particular story is an invitation to understand him. This story is about him. Think about this. In this picture of sevenfold compassion, mercy, and grace, Jesus is picturing the extravagant love by which God loves. The people of Israel had treated God and God's representatives the way they treated Samaritans. They had either rejected altogether 
or ignored God's ways for centuries. They had literally slaughtered, they had killed, just like the robbers on the road often did to people, they had killed God's prophets. They had taken God's magnificent vision for human flourishing, and no nation was ever given a more beautiful vision for how everybody experiences the joy of jubilee and and the ability to thrive. No nation was ever given a moral vision more beautiful than the vision God gave to Israel. They had taken this vision that God had given to them that they would be the people that would bring light and hope to the nations, and they had shrunk all of that down into a self-serving code that was assigned to allow them to check off a few moral and religious boxes and think, I'm good. I'm special. God's really pleased with me. And so at this very moment, when Jesus is sitting down on the ground, and I've told you previous weeks that there are people who are sitting on the ground around him, at this very moment, when God himself is sitting there in their midst, they're plotting to kill him. Luke's gospel goes on in chapter 20 and verse 20 to say that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, people like the expert in the law, who's the one who's instigating this conversation with Jesus, they are plotting to kill Jesus. So tell me, should God, should Jesus have any compassion on these people? Seriously. Should he have any compassion? And yet even as he sits there with the expert in the law trying to trap him, the text says, God was going to these extravagant, outrageous lengths for their salvation. The ultimate rock star was in their midst. (laughs) A being of infinite talent and worth had slowed down, had stopped, had stooped down, was literally sitting on the ground just to get to their level and to engage them in conversation about what life could be. This is what God was doing in the very midst of this whole story. The glorious God of the universe was in the process of of stopping and stooping and staining his hands for the sake of those who did not see who he was. Though they treated him like an enemy they wanted to destroy, Jesus was carrying them. That crowd, those teachers, those Pharisees, he was carrying them on the donkey of his teaching toward the cross. And there he was going to pay a supreme price. An unbelievable price. The very giving of his life's blood for the sake of the forgiveness of their sins so that they might be in the clear before God as any of us can be in the clear before God if we put our trust in what Jesus did on that cross. Jesus was doing this in order to bring anybody who knew they needed it to the place of final healing at God's end. That he, of all people, should do such a thing for them, 
It was an act of such stunning splanchnizomai that it had to have made the angels themselves gasp. I want to say in closing that I, 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 I think we're all living through a season where many of us feel like we are on our last gasp. I don't want to make light of that reality because um, I think it's having an impact on us. I, I think that under normal conditions, uh, I would confess that just remaining compassionate and merciful to my own family members or my own co-workers or to Packers fans challenges me. It tests me, stretches me. Uh, now we have got these around-the-clock explosive struggles over issues of law and justice and politics and the election and COVID policy and homeschooling and you just go down the list. I mean, it's coming at us fast and furious. It's testing our ability for compassion and mercy like no other time in the world and it's not surprising we're experiencing some compassion fatigue. We're, we're at each other's throats in many places. We're just, we're just struggling. So in that context, I think we just gotta be realistic and ask ourselves, how is it gonna be possible for us to even imagine pulling off the road to serve others who we're not intimately in favor of or connected to or, or even know? How is it gonna be possible for us to even imagine doing that rather than just passing by on the other side and dealing with what we've got to deal with ourselves or with all of the demands that is, are, are being piled upon? So many of us, what's gonna make us wanna give money to support our church's mission to people who can't help themselves or to, 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 to care and concern for the poor? Why would we volunteer in our resilient ministry or any one of the other ways that churches locally are trying to meet under-resourced people? Why would we advocate for people who suffer injustices that we may not be experiencing ourselves, whether they be black or blue or white? Why would we do such things? Where would we even find the motivation to truly try and see, much less feel, much less act constructively towards those whose convictions or experiences are really different than ours. Where are we going to get that capacity? I'll tell you. You can't guilt me into it. You're not going to force me into it by telling me it's the politically correct thing to do. You're not going to get me even to go there by pointing out how nice it would be. I think there's only one way we're gonna find the compassionate mercy that is so needed by people in our circles in society today who are stranded, who are struggling, who need our help. I think it will be because we've seen Jesus do it. We've been blown away by how Jesus does this. Jesus has in his heart what all of us so desperately need. Jesus gives us the power we don't have in ourselves to do good to our enemies. 
And this is the hope around which a worldwide communion of the disciples of Jesus Christ are gathered today. The God Samaritan, because that's what this story really should be called. The God Samaritan invites us now to his table. He knows we don't have it in us. So he's going to give it to us. He's gonna fill us with fresh grace, fresh truth, fresh capacity, more splench nizomai than when we came in today. So ask him for and receive today, if you would, the grace that you need and the compassionate mercy without which this world can't be saved. Amen. As we come to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ today, we want to encourage that you who are worshiping at home uh, to take hold of the elements of the bread and the cup that you may have around where you're living. Um, if you haven't yet gotten yourself some juice or some wine or crackers or wafers or bread, whatever it may be, the common things of life. This is what Jesus hallows. Go ahead and do that now. Bring that near to you. Those of you who are here on our campuses, then we just welcome you to take hold of the communion kit that we have provided upon entry today. I want to encourage you to open that up. You're going to find there in this little cup uh, a little foil lid. If you pull that lid back, you'll find in there a wafer. You can take that out. And underneath that wafer, there's another little foil lid. And if you pull that back, you will find it exposes a little bit of juice. In just a few moments, I'm going to invite us at home and here in this place to receive both of those elements one after another in quick succession. And after you've taken those elements in, uh, you can return uh, here in this space, the cups back into the plastic bag and dispose of it on your way out. I just want to say that we're doing it all at once so that those who are wearing masks can simply take those down, receive the elements one after the other, and then place those masks back in place. I want to invite us, though, before we do any of this, to bow our heads together before our God in prayer. And now, great God, as one church all across this globe, we acknowledge that we are part of societies and a human race that has been beaten and broken by sin. Like that man on the shoulder of the Jericho Road, we confess we just don't know how to repair ourselves. We just don't know how to restore the health that we so desperately need. Only you, God, only you and your supreme compassion and mercy have got the resources sufficient to save us and to transform us from the hold of sin. Thank you that in Jesus Christ, you have come as the neighbor that we need. Thank you that he was willing to stop and to stoop and to sacrifice himself on our behalf, that our sins might be forgiven and we might be healed. Thank you that he offers us right now 
the grace that we need to approach others with the compassion and mercy with which he has come toward us. So pour out your Holy Spirit upon these your gifts of bread and wine that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the actual communion of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And by your Spirit, God, make us one with Christ. Join us in communion with him and with all who share this feast across the world today. Unite us and empower us to be the Christ-like neighbors our society needs, especially now. Until that coming day when physically and finally you gather to yourself all your people and make all things new through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray together saying, Amen. Now in accordance with the institution of the Lord's Supper as established in Scripture by the Apostle Paul, we do this. We remember how on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And after he had prayed as we have just done, he broke the bread before his disciples and said to them, take and eat, for this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the apostles tell us also that after the same manner when they had supped, Jesus took the cup and raising it before them said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of your sin. And the apostle Paul says that every time we eat of this bread or we drink of this cup, we show forth, we proclaim the saving death and love of Jesus Christ until he comes again. And I welcome you now to receive those elements wherever you are of bread and of wine and to receive the grace, the mercy, the compassion, the splenched nizomai of God himself for you that you might be filled. This we do in remembrance of him. Sit 
Sometimes people make the way of Jesus complicated. It becomes a whole nother set of rules. But when you really think about it, it's not that complicated. Freely we have received, says the Apostle Paul from him. And so we freely give. We've been loved with this compassionate mercy. And out of the overflow of what we've been given, we go and do likewise. So go forth in the hope of the gospel's message. Keep seeking out the way of the Lord, using your eyes as you walk this Jericho road. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our heavenly Father, and the fellowship and power of God's Holy Spirit fill us up, fill you up, and use you for his glory 
the blessing of this world for whom Jesus came. Amen.